Hello there, and welcome to episode 9 of the Biome Podcast. I am Graham, and this is the podcast all about zoology and ecology. Let's start with the community's suggestions of interesting people, websites, or social media accounts to follow. Feel free to nominate any zoology-related resource you feel might be of interest to those who like zoology. They can be writers, Instagrammers, video bloggers, documentarians, or just anyone that you think puts out exceptional zoological or even ecological content. This episode's suggestion comes from Dean Quinto. They suggest we have a look at the website 10,000birds.com. It is one of the if not the largest bird blogging sites in the world. Whether you are a novice birder thinking about getting started, or if you are a seasoned veteran, there will always be information on this amazing resource. Although, let's be honest, if you're a seasoned veteran, you likely already know about 10,000birds.com. The name, 10,000 birds, comes from the fact that there are about 10,000 different species of birds in the world. So definitely check out the website. Who knows uh, what little gems you might find. If you or anyone you know have any sites that you think people should be following, please let us know. You can leave us a voice note on Spotify. Use the contact form on our website at www.biome.media or send us an email to questions at biome.media. All right. In the last episode, I asked a trivia question, which was, what determines the gender of a baby turtle? This question seemed a little bit confusing, but I still got a lot of answers. The top three in terms of um, answering the quickest and the ones I want to congratulate are Tiana Selak, Leanne Ullett, and Mark Peterson for getting the correct answer. Congratulations to all three. When a turtle lays eggs, it heaves itself out onto land, digs a hole in the ground, and lays its clutch of eggs. It then covers the clutch before heading back to the water. It is actually the temperature of the egg as it matures in the nest that determines the sex of the turtle. Females develop at one temperature and humidity, males at another, and a mix of both sexes um, are develop at temperatures and humidity levels in between. So, as for this week's trivia question, let's see who can answer it. I will give a shout out to the first three people to send me an email with the correct answer. Make sure you include your name in the email as well as your answer. Or you can go to www.biome.media and use the contact form on the site to submit your answer. Now, for the question. A Flemish giant is another name for what animal? Be sure to send your answers to questions at biome.media or again, you can go to www.biome.media and use the contact form. A Flemish giant is another name for what animal? I also just wanted to remind you that you can visit the site and sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss a single episode or read our field notes while you're there. So, let's see what's in store for today's Animal Spotlight.
Hello and welcome to this episode's Animal Spotlight, the section where we explore what we know about the life of one of this world's fascinating creatures. Today we will be looking at a lizard that lives in the arid regions of Australia and has some truly fascinating adaptations for getting water and evading predators. Today we will be looking at the thorny devil, with the Latin name of Moloch horridus. They are named after Moloch, which was the name of an ancient god from the Near East. Usually depicted as a beast with horns, the thorny devil lizard looks quite similar with horns all over its head. The lizard, however, are a lot smaller than the god, maxing out at about 21 centimeters or 8.3 inches. They do show sexual dimorphism though, with the females generally slightly larger than the males. Usually I try to start the animal spotlight section by talking about the animal's appearance. This time, let's start by talking about its predator evasion or defense techniques. After all, it's so closely related to the thorny physical appearance that it's basically one and the same. The thorny devil is covered in different shades of grey, red and brown actually, much like the desert print camouflage that some infantry around the world use. As mentioned earlier, they grow to a maximum of 21 centimeters or 8.3 inches, which includes the tail. This means that they would make a tasty morsel for many creatures. To help out their camouflage, the lizards actually walk quite slowly. Instead, they rock back and forth between each step, which draws less attention to themselves than if they were racing between areas. In case that weren't enough, thorny devils have other defensive mechanisms. The most obvious one is probably being covered head to toe in spikes. It sort of looks like a brown thorn bush uh, walking around. However, even with all the spikes and their camouflage and the slow walking, there are still predators that will try their luck with the thorny devil. For these tenacious predators, the thorny devils have a soft lump on the top of their neck. This lump actually acts as a false head. When the devil is being attacked, they can lower their heads between their front legs facing down. When they do this, it brings a soft lump to the front of the body and the predators think that it's the lizard's head. You can imagine that if they were to attack the head first, the lizard would die before the predator realized that the lizard wasn't the greatest meal. So now the soft tissue gives the predator a chance to come to the realization without killing the lizard. Even still, there are predators that feed on the thorny devil, so even with all of these preventative measures, it's still not perfect. Thorny devils are eaten by their larger lizard cousins, the goanna, as well as some birds that live in the Arab scrubland and desert that make up the majority of central and western Australia. The males attack the <laughs> sorry, the males do not attack the females. The males attract the females by using a special dance where they will bob their head and wave their legs. Once mated, the females lay a clutch of eggs sometime between September and December, which then take about three to four months to hatch. 
The eggs can number between three and 10 per clutch and they are laid about 30 centimeters or about 12 inches underground. It seems that thorny devils aren't territorial and their ranges often overlap with one another. It is interesting as the devils don't seem to travel much. Instead, they dig a burrow and stay fairly close at hand. They are a diurnal species, which means that they are most active during the day, which makes sense since they are cold-blooded creatures. They need the sun to warm them up. With all of the horns on their bodies, you would think that they would be related to the lizards of the genus Phrynosoma, and you would be forgiven. However, Phrynosoma is only found in North America. Although they look similar and eat the same things, uh, ants, the structure of the horns in the thorny devil is completely different, which makes it a convergent adaptation. Horned lizards from North America have bony cores in all of their horns. Thorny devils, on the other hand, have more horns than their North American counterparts, but they don't have bony cores. Instead, they are hardenings of the skin rather than being connected to the lizard's skeleton. The thorny devils are anteaters, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, with the ability to eat upwards of a thousand ants a day. One thought as to why an ant-eating lizard might develop the spiny camouflage body plan, since it is found in both thorny devils and the phrenosoma, is that it allows the lizard to sit along an ant trail, picking off ants as they walk past. The reason so many ants are eaten is that they have relatively low nutritional value. Now, as impressive as that is, eating a thousand ants in a day, it is not where the animal truly shines. As it lives in arid regions, what characteristic is this animal's superpower? Well, the skin of the thorny devil has tiny grooves in it, and it allows any water on the skin to be drawn by capillary action into the mouth. What is capillary action, I hear you ask? Capillary action is defined as the process by which a fluid, like water in this case, is drawn into a narrow space without the assistance of and sometimes even in opposition to outside forces. If you think of using a cloth or paper towel and you place just a corner in a puddle, eventually the fluid will be sucked into the paper towel or cloth. This is capillary action. The thorny devil has a similar property. Basically, thorny devils can stand in a puddle or even moist or damp soil and the water will flow up tiny grooves in the lizard's skin to their mouth, moving against gravity even. Capillary action comes about due to the surface tension of the liquid, in this case again water, and the forces acting between the liquid and the container walls, which are in this case the skin of the thorny devil. However, another way these little devils collect water is condensation from the morning dew that settles on the lizard's backs. These water droplets will also find their way into the lizard's mouth using capillary action, although it doesn't seem as effective as pulling the water straight from the ground. You might be curious, um, or you might question why they don't just absorb it through their skin. Well, the answer to that is that if the skin were permeable, 
enough to absorb water through it, it would also be permeable enough to lose water through it. And when you live in an arid place, holding on to any water becomes of utmost importance. The IUCN currently classifies thorny devils as least concern. This means that they are not believed to be endangered and that their numbers are thought to be quite stable. Well, that's it for today's Spotlight. Let's see what the technical section has in store for us. Up next. Now it's time for the technical section of the episode. The idea behind this section is to highlight some sort of concept, theory, idea, process or pathway in the world of zoology or ecology. I thought we'd have a little bit of fun with this episode since it's the last episode of the single digits. The next episode is episode 10, which personally I find quite strange. So it only fits that I thought for this episode we could talk about some of the strangest defense mechanisms found in nature. Obviously, there's a lot of them. Some of them are impressive and some of them are just exceptionally good at what they do. We explored quite a few of the defense mechanisms used by the thorny devil previously, but let's look at some of the other ones found throughout the animal kingdom. Today, we'll focus on the strangest ones, so don't expect to see camouflage or mimicry on the list. I'll do an episode on each topic, I'll do a separate episode on each topic eventually as well, so make sure you send me any questions you may have. For now though, let's jump straight into it. Number five, losing limbs voluntarily. The process of losing a limb voluntarily is called autotomy, which basically means self-amputation. It is most famously found in some lizards, salamanders, and tuataras. Tuataras are reptiles found specifically in New Zealand. They look a lot like lizards, but are actually distinct from them. Anyway, back to autotomy. We'll talk about Tuataras in an animal spotlight soon. But for now, let's stick to the topic at hand. It's usually done when they're threatened by a predator. Some require the tail to be pulled off by the predator, but others can drop their tail fairly easily. Most lizards have what's known as caudal autotomy which means that the tail has to be grabbed with sufficient force before the vertebrate break and the tail is dropped. On the other hand, geckos have true autotomy, which means they just need to be sufficiently stressed to drop their tail. For example, they can drop their tail when they're being bugged enough by ants. And yes, that pun was intentional. (laughs) In true autotomy, Muscles in the tail contract. These muscles then pinch off the tail either between the vertebrate or on the vertebrate, splitting the vertebrate in two. Other muscles then contract around the blood vessels, which closes them off, stopping the lizard from losing blood. The tail does eventually grow back, but instead of bone, the vertebrate grow back as cartilage, and the color of the tail is usually gray regardless of what the rest of the organism is colored. Autotomy has also been found in a few species of rodents, actually. At least two species of African spiny mice are capable of releasing their skin when they are caught by predators. Uh, 
They are then able to regrow their skin completely, including hair follicles, sweat glands, skin, fur, um, with almost no scarring. We'll explore autotomy in another episode, um, because while researching this, I did go down a bit of a long rabbit hole, so I've got a lot of information. But let's, since these are just overviews, let's go to number four. Number four is slime. Yes, this is a strange one. As far as I'm aware, it's only found in the hagfish. The hagfish is a marine eel-like fish that lives off of carrion at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, what do you do when a predator bites you um, at the bottom of the ocean? As far as the hagfish is concerned, you fill the surrounding water with slime and try to choke out the predator to let you go. The hagfish is a, oh, has about a hundred glands spanning its length. They release some protein that, once released from the cell it is stored in, bursts forth like an incredible slinky toy. These proteins then loosely bond together, turning the water around the predator into slime which means they get starved of oxygen and have to let go of the hagfish. Probably the most interesting piece of information about slime is how much can be made in such a short period of time. In less than a second, a predator can be engulfed in enough slime to force it to make a choice between food or suffocation. Number three, spitting venom into the eye of the predator to blind them. This one is a strange long-range form of defense found in the aptly named spitting cobras. There are several species found in Asia and Africa. The cobras are able to spit forward because unlike other venomous snakes whose fangs have an opening in the rear for the venom release, spitting cobras have an opening in the front of the fang. Therefore, if they push the venom through with enough pressure, the venom will shoot forward. What is a bit surprising is how accurate the snakes are with their spit. Intact skin, uh, with intact skin, the venom is relatively harmless. You might get a contact burn depending on the species and your skin. In the eyes, it has the ability to blind you. Spitting cobras can spit up to two meters or six feet six inches. So it's only really a danger if you scare them while opening your cupboard in certain areas of the world or when you corner them. Number two, mixing two compounds to make one that burns. This one is so strange that it can even kill the predator. This group known as bombardier beetles ejects or shoots a hot noxious chemical from the end of its abdomen. When I say that it's a hot solution, I'm not joking. It can be almost the temperature of boiling water. So how do they store a chemical that is almost as hot as a boiling water in their bodies to be able to spray it um, on the off chance that a predator attacks them? You would have to keep it at the, at the ready, which could be dangerous. Instead, these beetles have found a sneaky way of keeping themselves safe. The beetles have two glands in their abdomen. Each gland contains um, a different component. One gland holds uh, hydroquinone and the other contains hydrogen peroxide. Uh, 
When the animal is under attack or spooked, it pushes these two compounds into an opening in their abdomen where they mix with the help of some catalysts. Mixing the two chemicals causes an exothermic reaction, meaning it makes the reaction incredibly hot. So hot, in fact, that it can kill predators by boiling them alive. And number one. Okay, I don't know why, but this one strikes me as possibly the strangest. The horned lizards are a group of ant-eating lizards from North America. We mentioned them briefly in our um, animal spotlight. We're all talking about the thorny devils. They're found in arid regions from Canada all the way down to New Mexico. Like the thorny devil that we spoke about the an in the animal spotlight earlier, they are built for defense. From camouflage coloration to being spiky all over, they use a multitude of defense strategies. In spite of all of these defense options, however, they are or they still fall to prey to coyotes, birds, bobcats, mice, and snakes. It's their last resort defensive strategy that is probably the most intriguing. These lizards eat ants, but not just any ants. Highly venomous ants, in fact. It seems that these ants produce a compound that makes the lizard's blood unpalatable. The lizard has a chamber underneath their eyes that it can fill with blood. The muscles then constrict, popping this chamber and squirting blood up to two meters away from the lizard. This technique is mainly used to show the predator that they don't actually taste good and is mostly used when the lizard is in the jaws of the attacker so that they can make sure that the blood makes it into the predator's mouth. The idea is that the predator then drops the lizard, which is free to continue on with its day of eating thousands of ants. What is a weird bunch, or what is a weird defensive strategy that you can think of? What did you think of the list? Did we miss any that you think should have been here? Send us an email or leave us a voice message on Spotify or on our website and we will include it in the next episode. And that is the end of the show today. But before we head off, I just want to remind you of the trivia question for this episode. A Flemish giant is another name for what animal? Be sure to send your answers to questions at biome.media or you can go to www.biome.media and use the contact form to get a shout out and show all your friends just how knowledgeable you are about the natural world. Also, make sure you visit the site and sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss a single episode and feel free to read our field notes while you're there. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. They are always welcome. I hope you have a great two weeks ahead of you and I will see you in the next episode. Until then, don't forget to ask questions. It is the foundation of science after all.